like, is it a conceit for the show to make it even more relevant to Maryland, the broader way, the studio system in general in the 50s, especially for women? I mean, we know from like just observing the world around us that right now you don't have to rise to fame through scandal. Um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of somebody very different from Marilyn Monroe, but like Beyonce or something, you know, there's yes. many examples of that, but um, Marilyn, it was a different kind, not only was it a totally different time, but she was a very different type of artist. Want to listen to this Ivory Tower Boiler Room episode ad free? Head on over to our Patreon, where you will get this episode and all of our episodes ad-free. And you can see our video episode, including this one right now, where you'll see my beautiful face and the guest's beautiful face. Who doesn't love that? And I am so excited to announce that all of you can get a one-week free trial on our Patreon. Join the ITBR professor level and you unlock all of Mary's True Crime and Academia Patreon episodes, our rewatch show, including Queer as Folk and Smash. You can even listen to us dissect Scream and The Exorcist. And I heard, rumor has it, that we have an upcoming Britney Spears episode, a Fall of the House of Usher episode, and yes, even a Saltburn episode, which is going to be quite riveting. So head to patreon.com backslash ivory tower boiler room, join the one week free trial and see what you're missing out on. And while you're at it, please follow us on Instagram and TikTok at ivory tower boiler room, rate, follow and subscribe to us on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Thanks so much. And I hope that you enjoy all of our ivory tower boiler room episodes. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, hello everyone. Welcome back to Ivy Tower Brother Room Rewatches. Today we're discussing Smash Season 1, Episode 5, Let's Be Bad. Today we have again with us the wonderfully talented Elizabeth Winder here, the author of Marilyn in Manhattan. Yay! Us this amazingly amazing episode. Andrew, do you want to start us off today? Oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like I should ask Elizabeth to start us off, but no. Um, oh. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I know, though, like I have to say, I think out of all of the episodes, this is my favorite so far because um, there's just so much psycho psychological nuance with um, the Marilyn 
um, personas, the way that we're getting her biography. Um, but yeah, I would just like to ask you both, what do you think of, I have here, Elizabeth, can you unpack this? Because <laughs> there was this whole moment of, um, you're talking about uh, Joe DiMaggio and Marilyn, um, what they were going through after the seven year itch. Like there's, I have written here something about the hotel scene. Does that ring a bell? Yes, it yes, it does. So there's um a couple of things things going on. So the seven year itch was filmed in um 1954. A lot happened with Marilyn in 1954 before she made her move to New York City, but it premiered on her birthday in uh, June 1955, and she was in New York at that premiere, she and Joe had broken up by then, but they were still friends. And he was her date, you know, to this to this premiere. And he, there was, um, that's when I think that there was, there was a sort of publicity scene that with the, the skirt and the, the, the dress and the grate and all of that. And he, he was, so upset about that they went to hotel room uh his hotel room afterwards and they had a really big fight it is um possible that there he was physically violent with her that night it was um you know he was really really angry he was he was jealous um he did not like you know, the implications of all of that. And I think that, you know, clearly a lot of it was this possessiveness. And then part of it was also him thinking, I don't like Marilyn being used that way, you know, but then if, if that's, if that's who you're angry with, be angry with the people who are using her, don't be angry with her. Yeah. So like, wait, Christian, can you remind us again, who is the, um, you know, Christian's like our smash dictionary, but, um, Who's the, um, what's the name of the actor? Not the actor, Will Chase, but what's the name of the character who's playing Joe DiMaggio? Michael Swift. Michael. Michael. Okay, thank you. So, like, do you agree that Michael um, has every right to, like, say to Julia, who's, like, crafting this hotel scene um, in the musical, like, don't make me into a villain? Like, is that something that he should be worried about is that Joe DiMaggio is going to be seen as a villain? Or do you think there's every right to know, portray the actual reality of him being verbally and maybe even physically abusive to her? Mm, that's difficult because everyone has their own allegations of what actually mm. happened in that hotel room. No one can know for sure what exactly happened. I know Blonde portrayed it fully to the extent I know that um, in another documentary that I watched, Love, Marilyn, um, that they discussed it a little bit at length. Um, and they also had Amy as a as one of the um, guests who discussed Marilyn as well. Amy Green, alive. yeah. Yep. She was there she that was... night. Did, yep. she, I, did Amy Green, um, in, I'm so sorry, that's my dog. <laughs> oh, you're fine, Elizabeth. I, we I like dogs one... here. You can... yeah, go, go for it. So I think, um, did Amy Green, 
I know that she witnessed Joe DiMaggio's anger. I forget if she witnessed any physical violence. I don't think that she would have witnessed any. I think, is, she, I think she said that she was in the room next to her and she might okay. have seen something, but she wasn't going to like disclose. In the documentary that I watched that I've seen multiple times, but I think she said that she wasn't going to disclose anything, that she hailed Joe as a god, that she wasn't going to say anything against him that was demeaning against That's him. That's all coming back to me now. Yes, yes. Mm. And you know, um, to... um. To sort of, and you're, I'm sure you're you're aware of this, Christian. But to sort of like emphasize, like for, to, to to think about where Amy Green might be coming from. Um, not to say that it's fair necessarily, but Amy did, was not a was a was really really did not like Arthur Miller, and uh, her feelings. I I, I don't either. I don't. Were very justified. I think. He was a hideous creep to Marilyn in, mm -hmm. and abusive in so many ways. And I don't like what about ism. Do you know what I mean? But, but, but so, and, and I don't, I'm not saying this to diminish any, you know, behavior of Joe DiMaggio's, but there tends to be a focus more on DiMaggio as th this problem and Miller as this nice guy. Um, as this savior type of person. And I don't yes. think that that's really good. <laughs> it's, and it's not true. No. Because, because in, in, in my in my mind, at least, she, she was saving herself. She moved to New York with her friend, her supportive friend, Milton Green, who was not like using her in any way. He was a friend. And they and she defied the studio, started her own production company, started studying acting. She did not need to be saved by this man with Miller with the God complex. <laughs> Let me ask you, Elizabeth, if I can. Um, I haven't finished Marilyn Manhattan um, yet, but I wanted to ask you if you knew if um, Marilyn was very aware of the queer community and how much they supported her, if there was um, ever, if she if she knew if that was a thing back then. That's a really good question. I don't, I think that based on some things that I kind of remember reading, I think that she was aware to, mm. to an extent. Um, the thing is she was so, lonely in Hollywood that she didn't have that many friends right. so I think that one of the sad things is that like she wasn't really fully aware how much of the support that and the admiration that she might have had from communities like the queer community that that respected her and admired her I think that that a lot of some of that was lost on her you know which is of course sad thinking back on it she didn't know she didn't realize that yeah is this true in 1961, she was in an interview with William J. Weatherby, and she said, people tried to make me into a lesbian. I laughed. No sex is wrong if there's love in it. Oh. Sounds familiar with the Weatherby stuff. I'm, I, the, the context of it, I'm, I'm wondering about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but she also said, like, she didn't like to put labels on love. Like if people loved, that was beautiful. And that was kind yeah, of like Judy 100%. Garland's approach. That, that makes, that makes, that, that rings very, very true for Marilyn. She was not yeah. a judgmental person at all. And I, and she was very, it goes with her sort of understanding that like people, human nature is, is changeable. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't fit into lines all the time. And, 
She's, mm. She wasn't somebody who felt the need to constantly define things. And, you know, some people have problems with, with that. And, you know, but she was very, very accepting. Yeah. Well, and maybe it's kind of like, um, uh, yeah, there's actually, for everyone out there, there's an article called How Marilyn Monroe Became a Trailblazing Gay Icon from 2021. We should link um, that in the show notes. In the yeah, show. we'll link it in the show notes. But it's by... And of course, we'll link Elizabeth's book, but it's by Deborah Drita Soar. And it has a quote by Marilyn that says, we are all born sexual creatures. It's a pity so many people despise and crush this feeling. Mm-hmm. That's really powerful. Um, it and, is. Yeah. And I think Judy Garland was also accused of being a lesbian. Again, there's nothing wrong with being a lesbian. I just think it's interesting that... Um, I mean, and Judy like, knew a lot. Yeah. She's she. I think she went to a lot of gay bars, um, and she was very advocative of the queer community as well. So she knew she <laughs> from the get go that "Over the Rainbow" was going to be her signature song. And with that, she used that yeah. as, as she said that this song is for anyone who's feeling unaccepted, who's feeling low, who needs a support system, and you know, she's, she, there's her, there's a famous line that she says, I love the uh, thing about the audience that she wants to bring the audience home, but she can't bring them with her. And it's, mm. I think that's true for Marilyn as well, because she wants to do that with her uh, audience. But I believe that she would have, as we said in our, in episode four, that she would have thrived on Broadway. And I think with, mm-hmm. she, I feel like if she would have given, if someone would have given her the chance, if there was like a role out there for her, then she would have been a big Broadway star and that would have saved her as well as the Kirk community, I believe. Cause you know, I, I think, think so too. Yeah. I, well, I definitely agree. And I have to imagine Elizabeth, like when she's doing numbers like heat wave or like Marilyn's campy numbers, she was around so many queer men. Yes. Right. I was, <laughs> I was watching right. heat wave. And then I was also watching, um, well, actually a Jane Russell, number from gentlemen prefer blondes oh yes the men in the that whole uh-huh. the oh yeah talking about i was watching it last night i'm thinking are they naked but then i was like no they're wearing flesh toned shorts well, i thought too i was like wait are they- yeah wait isn't it true jane russell i mean this surprised me again we like have so many different you know listeners from different political parties so you know i'm not making a political statement but i thought jane russell was like a diehard republican we're conservative yes i think that she's that she was towards that in the latter part of her life and i don't even mean when Mm -hmm. she was elderly i think like you know at some point in adulthood on maybe in her 30s she uh, became very conservative at least in certain ways i don't Mm -hmm. know how politically aligned it was and i think that i think there might have been a religious element okay and the reason i just bring that up is like that um like queer openness that Marilyn and Judy Garland have, it interests me because they're also targeted by McCarthyism. Like that they were accused of being communists and like the actors and actresses accused of being communists tended to be more open with sexuality. Absolutely, absolutely. You you know, no matter what type, what they were doing, definitely. Mm -hmm. I think it also happened with Lucille Ball too, as well. Yep. Lucille Ball. Lena Horne is targeted. Um, again, I think we need this history just taught because, yeah. 
think so too. You, I wonder why, I mean, the, I think that this absolutely should be taught in history classes, this moment in mid-century America, this like I, this um, McCarthyism and, and its terrifying effect on the arts should 100% be taught. Yeah, yeah. And I would assume, did Arthur Miller, like, even though, yes, I agree too, even though I have to say my mentor and my friend Jan Balakian interviewed him in his Connecticut home um, because she's an Arthur Miller scholar. And I always ask her, I'm like, what did you ask about Marilyn? And she's like, he won't say anything. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he did not answer any Marilyn Monroe questions. Sure was but not. like, did he have a lot of um, queer friends? I'm Miller? assuming he, he yeah. had to have, because he's a playwright. He works in that industry. I'm sure that he has to have some connection, I think. I'm not sure. Was what I, don't I don't know too much about him other than what I, you know, had to learn to write about him in the context of Marilyn. Um, <clears throat> I don't think, I don't, I, I think he certainly would have um, socialized, particularly when he went to Hollywood at times, with um, aspects of the queer community more so than your average man, mm -hmm. you know, in the in the fifties. But I don't think that he was had many queer friends, or like he he. First of all, he was pretty solitary, but um, he didn't run in the circle that, like, for example, like the other big playwright of that time, Tennessee Williams, ran yes. it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Those two were, I do not think were, were friends um, at all. Um, mm. He, and there, and when you think about Arthur Miller's work, there's something very. Um, Patriarchal. <laughs> Are you a fan of LGBTQ plus books, plays, movies, TV shows? Well, then I have the magazine for you. It's called The Gay and Lesbian Review. The GNLR is a bi-monthly magazine of history, culture, and politics that publishes essays in a wide range of disciplines, as well as a slew of reviews of books, plays, and movies. Each issue brings you consistently intelligent, lively, thought-provoking articles focused on a unifying theme, and it brings together the leading minds on the topic. So I just had on Dr. Richard Schneider Jr., the founder and editor-in-chief of the GNLR, for the GNLR's 30th anniversary. Happy birthday, GNLR. Dr. Richard Schneider talked about their special volume called Outer Appearances, More Faces from the Annals of the GNLR, illustrations by Charles Heffling. They cover current LGBTQ artists such as Harvey Firestein, Melissa Etheridge, Alan Cumming, James Whiteside, Alison Bechdel, and even David Sedaris, and of course, many others like Stephen Sondheim. There's even a supplemental issue that comes with your commemorative volume. And Andrew Halloran, the writer of Dancer from the Dance, he reviews a book called Morris about E.M. Farster's Morris, written by one of our ITBR guests, David Grevin. So we can't wait for you all to experience this beautiful 30th anniversary GNLR issue. Have you heard some of my GNLR interviews, including Dr. Andrew Lear's discussion about male-male love in ancient Greek society and Ignacio Darnad opening and blasting the closet door in the queer male art world? Well, 
definitely make sure you listen to them after this episode. Head to glreview.org. Make sure you subscribe to their magazine. You'll see there's a section that says subscribe at the top. Enter the promo code ITBR50. That's ITBR50 to receive 50% off, 50% off any print or digital subscription. Enjoy your reading. Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby, and I'm really excited to talk to you all about one of our ITBR sponsors, Broadview Press. Broadview Press is an independent academic publisher in the humanities that produces high-quality, pedagogically useful books for use in university and college classrooms. They publish mainly in English studies, writing, philosophy, and history. They are always publishing with an eye towards diversity, building a strong list of titles from women, people of color, and authors from other marginalized groups. If you haven't heard my Broadview Press interviews, you need to. Recently, I just had on Dr. Shannon Day, who talked about her book, Beyond the Binary, Thinking About Sex and Gender. And in the summer, I had on Dr. Jason Holt, who gave us all a comprehensive history of what it means to be a philosopher who studies sporting culture. And of course, we went back to ancient Greek, literature, mythology, history, to look at the roots of athleticism. And... Last year, I had on Dr. Jeffrey Andrew Weinstock, who's actually going to be coming on the podcast soon to give his thoughts on the new Fall of the House of Usher Netflix series. He talked all about pop culture for beginners. And Broadview Press is offering an exclusive discount because of our sponsorship. So head to broadviewpress.com where you're going to see such a wide range of literature. Use the code Ivory Tower, I-V-O-R-Y, T-O-W-E-R for 20% off site-wide all of their books. Again, it's broadviewpress.com. Enjoy your reading. Yes. (laughs) I was going to say, all my sons and- Yes, there's something very like patriarchal, um, straight man about it. And I'm not, and I am a fan of some of his work. I love The Crucible. Um, that's that's probably the work of his that's the least like that when you think about it. But yeah, All My Son's Death of a Salesman. This is very much from the straight male perspective, the everyday man perspective. Do, do you know what I mean? Where, yeah. Whereas Tennessee Williams is, well, totally not. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you want to, you know, back to episode four, you know, <laughs> you have visions of being Blanche Devois. I mean, talk about a campy, I mean, well, she also goes through her abuse and um, yeah, it has, that has a wolves of Hollywood type narrative to it. It definitely um, does, yeah. The streetcar. Um, yes. But yeah, I, what I kind of wonder, um, you know, I know that this isn't in episode five, but I feel like it's worth addressing, which is why does, or what is Marilyn's reason for converting to Judaism? Because that's another thing people don't talk about is she converts to Judaism. Is it really because she marries Arthur or is it really because she goes on her own quest of religiosity? I think it's fair to say that it certainly started because of Arthur Miller, but I don't know how religious I should know more about this I don't I, I don't think that I, I think Arthur Miller himself was was pretty secular um it could have been as simple as her wanting to show respect for his family his parents you know his family um 
I don't know if I, I don't have the feeling that she really was on a spiritual journey, but I also think that she was very, very keen to embrace, um, you know, culturally Jewish tradition and was eager to learn about, about that, you know, from that aspect. Yeah. Is Milton and Amy Green, are they Jewish, Elizabeth? Milton Green, yes. Milton yeah. Green is Jewish. But, okay. Yeah. 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 I feel like, again, none of these layers were in blonde or, uh, which is interesting <laughs> because Joyce Carol Oates is Jewish. So I'm not, yeah. in the novel, is Judaism addressed? I feel like it doesn't appear that much in mm. the in the novel. Um, it doesn't. It's. It's. I don't think so. I don't think yeah. so. Yeah. Just because, like Arthur Miller, we're talking about his plays. I feel like a lot of the patriarchal. Because I've had these critiques or discussions with my friend, who's the scholar, that. I feel like Arthur Miller is, it's a lot of assimilation narrative because like there's aspects of his Judaism that don't appear in his plays where like the so, crucible okay. is about like McCarthyism and witch hunts yes. and which, which is why I actually enjoy the crucible a lot is there's a lot of paranoia. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that that's, these are interesting questions. I kind of wish I knew, <laughs> wish I knew the answer. Um, but I think that, that like um yeah with she certainly was embracing like the cultural aspect of judaism yeah i don't know there's so much but there's so much to her life that um i know yeah, yeah. but okay well thank you for unpacking that was all about you unpacking the hotel scene but we got a lot oh, yeah. uh, here <laughs> Oh, I I love like where we go with these conversations. Didn't mean to bring Tennessee Williams into the mix. I don't even know. I how mean, hey, he's welcome in any mix. <laughs> um, but um, oh yeah. So like, um, Michael says I don't want DiMaggio to be a complete tool. Right, right. I think that like, that's from that from the character's perspective, from Michael's perspective. I don't fault him for for yeah. for for feeling that way and for expressing that. Well, my question is, is Michael a tool in this episode? I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who's in the wrong here? Julia or Michael? Like, is someone fueling this? Or do you think they're both? I mean, Julia is starting to veer on cheating on her husband by, like, meeting with Michael at the diner, which is like they're supposed to be talking about his acting process, but then... You know, they share that kiss. I know we're jumping ahead, but like they share that kiss on the front stoop as her son is watching. I mean, that and was a really. They are picked up by the police for apparently smoking marijuana. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that and was then just. The, and then the date, the guy's, the, who's like, the guy's lawyer date is shows up at the police station and is and like. He yeah. says, this isn't CSI. I'm like, it's SVU. It's not CSI. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Yeah, well, the whole yeah. and Michael hooked up at all before episode four because when I saw them, I thought something has happened between these two. Mm. Yeah, so did they? Did were they? Yeah, so they had a sexual relationship. They did. That was in their other show because she confessed to Tom that they, yes. that both of them had an affair a couple of years. Like I think it was three years ago or something. I that they had an affair. That they were walking. So on the they had. They were. They were just reminiscing over old times, and they just, you know, 
it was a big mess. And now I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. And I don't want to spoil anything for anybody, but it seems like it's, something it's, it's is going to happen between uh, something two. is going to happen. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the husband knows about this affair, Elizabeth. Like you haven't seen the husband in this episode, but he knows that they were yeah. um, fooling around before. But he mm -hmm. doesn't know that like this actor is on the Maryland production. Right, Christian? And, and I don't think so them. until it isn't until the the workshop that he figures it all out i think that's in my mind that's in my own perspective is julia's marriage like is it like a is it a loving marriage or is it a marriage of convenience it's a it's a it's a real marriage or maybe it's or a real marriage. i mean they're they're trying to get an adoption and you know it's it's been a rocky road and now with uh leo's her son's uh supposed well alleged arrest it's like it that that makes everything be a lot more strenuous on on Julia and her husband's part for a, the adoption process. So it's, you know. Oh, right, right. Well, how about the whole marijuana? I don't know. It was just, that to me felt very And then dated. Tom's like, and then, uh, like musical. In, like, <laughs> like, I love that scene. Yeah, like, like he starts singing a musical number to the sun. <laughs> that was, yeah, it was very campy, but. I'm like, oh, really? He's getting arrested that. over his friend smoking marijuana? I'm like, this is... I mean, I know it was a few years ago. When was this film? Like 2015 or... 2012. Early? Okay. So was that... Maybe that was the on the cusp of... I mean, it still seems late in the day to be for that to happen. But, you yeah. know, it was 11 years ago. Yeah. And for like him to be in Manhattan and like, this is what the cops are worried about. That's what didn't, really? even if things aren't officially legal, it doesn't make any sense that that would be, you know, it's not like a college campus in um, Illinois or something. <laughs> but I feel like they needed him. Park. I think they were in a park. I think it was either Central Park or another park. And they were just, you know, just sitting there and the friend just whips out his you know, cigarette or something. Yeah. I was going to say, you just have to go to Union Square and yes, I see there's, there's way more than marijuana. But yep, way more. Uh, I mean, it did seem a little bit like a plot device, you know? Yeah, they were trying to escalate this yeah. conflict. Um, but, oh yeah. Um, okay, can we just say, I'm getting really frustrated with Dev, Karen's boyfriend. Like, I can't deal with this Ooh. anymore. And like his dinner, and she's seated by the plane. I'm like, she's seated like in like the, if, if 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 there was an area in the restaurant, she would be by the kitchen area <laughs> where they would. Take the, I would have left that dinner. Like that was awful. It was so embarrassing for her, and I felt I'm like, oh boy, she's having to use this dress as a sort of Marilyn yeah. tool. I think she kind of had to yep. tap into Marilyn about it, and. The, the Mr. Press Secretary had to take it to his own advantage. I'm like, that's not good. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't even like roundabout with his flirtation. He's like, you know, do you want to go back to my place or my hotel? Yeah, my place. I'm like, whoa, okay. Hotel and order room service. Like, no. <laughs> why is Dev, why, why is Dev like this? Like, why, yeah. why is he... And then his his, his the, the 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 um the journalist from New York Times or something like that like he thought that uh, uh Karen thought that she was a that that R J was a man instead of a woman yeah 
Right, right. I remember saying that, that when she's like sh shocked. <laughs> well, because he's never told, been open with her about the gender of the person. Mm -hmm. And well, again, I feel like this is paralleling Marilyn's life is Dev is kind of like our um, almost like hiding the truth from her. Yeah. Um, starts to gaslight her like, oh, what's the big deal about her being a woman? Right, right. And then you and you can see it's very easy to see this happening in Karen's mind, kind of like, okay, well, what is the big deal? You know, my boyfriend's working with a woman. That is not a big deal. That shouldn't be a big deal. And he, he recognizes that and uses that to kind of make her doubt herself in the future. Yeah. Oh, I can't. Yeah, he, she needs to leave him. I'm done. I can't. I don't think he's gonna leave for a while. Well, I love his accent. It's like, no, it's it's not good for you. <laughs> <laughs> what I think might happen is I think that Deb's behavior might drive Karen into Derek's arms. Mm, that's true. We might be leading in that direction, Elizabeth. <laughs> some uh, foreshadowing here. That's my prediction. You might have to come back later if that happens. Um, well, I already said Elizabeth has to come back for the beginning of season two because that's the cut print moving on when Marilyn creates her production company. Oh, uh, yes. 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 Would definitely that's will. my favorite musical number. But I do Same. like this musical number, too. so many. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, oh, Ellis is feeding Eileen information. I thought this was really interesting that like ellis is a personal assistant elizabeth but he's like feeding the producer all the information about oh julia hasn't finished this musical number but i know tom did this and then like do you want to hear more from me <laughs> like and i'm thinking doesn't eileen like have boundaries in the office right. she's like no tell me everything right i was kind of surprised by that um and I thought like on, on both behalves, because I thought like, you know, whenever, because I, I feel like I've seen this in, in in shows before where there's like a bunch of people working on something. I was, I'm thinking of the example I'm thinking of is the show Unreal from a few years ago. But when somebody kind of bypasses the, you know what I mean, the person that they should be working for and go to the head person to sort of tattle, I feel like it never turns out well. No, it doesn't turn out for the like person lower on the totem pole. No, it doesn't. It doesn't because then no, who, they're just done. Yeah, because it's that's somebody you can't trust at all. Mm -mm. Yeah, so he's like a mole, and um, yeah. I don't like. Yeah, that. no. Oh, so how about the vibrato issue with Ivy and her? Oh my! So this is the manipulation and gaslighting with Derek. I, um, this is where I really felt for Ivy. Like, I didn't really feel for her as much in the last episode, but I I'm starting felt to feel her pain. More. Yeah. 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 So, like, what's going on there with Derek embarrassing Ivy and saying, you know, oh, Karen, you're going to do music voice lessons with Ivy. That was sick. That was, that that was He also manipulated Karen into saying happy birthday. And he's like, I know you've done it before. You can do it again. Like that was top shared manipulation. That was like that, that for was, both Karen and Ivy at that, that moment. That was such, so calculating and so mm -hmm. th thought out with, with with such precision. If I move this 
chess piece here then and say this and this chess piece goes here and then these mm. two are doing this that mm. was frightening <laughs> yeah yeah oh my god it was um but you're right christian like he's even outing that there was this flirtation where she like for her audition had to sing happy birthday to him in his hotel room. This is like early. Like, is this episode one when he she does that, Christian? He invites her, uh, he invites her to his um house in in the yeah. city and he wants her to do like a I think it was in the first episode, if I'm not mistaken. But he says that in front of Ivy. In front of Ivy. Ivy. In front of Ivy no. He wants Ivy to know to get into her head. Uh -huh. That's where he like, sees that doubt of self-doubt. Mm -hmm. I, I can be replaced. I can be replaced on the stage. And then that's tied to me being replaced in that bedroom or yep. you know, with this with this man. We're like Karen and Ivy should be uniting together because against this manipulative tool of a guy. But like instead, he's really finding their weaknesses. He's doing everything he can to make sure they don't unite. You know, he's. I think that he's he's doing this definitely on on purpose because he is not in power if the two of them have a unified front. He knows that. Mm. But um, yeah. So that was very troubling, and and you can tell. I do have to say though, Karen seems very sympathetic to Ivy. Do you think, or do you think she enjoys knowing that she might have a chance to usurp Ivy? No, I think she she understands what she's going through, but then Ivy at this point in her life, she's trying to figure out what she wants to do. And here's a man telling her that she isn't doing the best work that she can. And it's, it's getting her into the self-doubt mode. And she's starting to self-analyze her own work and she's trying to I guess she's trying to emulate what she wants to bring to the craft and with Karen trying to help her it's kind of with Karen she's she's trying to to help but maybe she Ivy might see it as self-sabotaging or mm -hmm. sabotaging in a way um, and it's just, oh, sorry. You guys were frozen for a second. I just lost my chair. Oh, 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 yeah. No, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're self-sabotaging you, Christian. I'm just kidding. Oh, oh. No, 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 no. Do you think that, that there's not an element in within Karen of, of um, being glad that this attention is being get, get to her? Because um, that said, yes and no totally immune to that liking having some power not not because it hurts ivy not because of that but because she's gaining more power i mean if you look at it from yeah. the fact that he that Derek forced her to perform that song in front of everyone it made her it made her feel a little bit debilitated and she wasn't sure where she stood mm. and kind of but i think her. when but i think when she sees how um 
the applause that she gets for like giving that performance of like, oh, wow, she really embodies Marilyn's essence. Yeah. She's like getting those hats on the back and then sees that's, that she isn't the chorus girl. That's got to do something for her. That's got to get the wheels in the head to start turning. I mean, I feel like that would only be human, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think Ivy, oh my, Ivy's performance in their vocal lesson, like when she's like, well, I have some advice for you. It's like the bitch slap moment. Like, I love that. I actually well, Yeah, that. she's like, oh, <laughs> don't get ahead of yourself. And then when like, the vocal when the um what would it be music director i guess comes in to give the lesson um he's like hey larry it's just this whole performance she puts on i mean i'm annoyed at both of them for different reasons because i feel like they both are getting under each other's skin yeah but i really blame Derek. Like, it's not on it's that. It's, yeah. And in that scene that you're yeah. talking about, I'm loving watching Ivy doing what she's doing. So it's interesting because I'm not, I'm not, I, I do have sympathy for Ivy 100%. Mm. Like, I get, it's how can you not? You know, it's maybe not in the beginning of episode four, but by this episode, it's very easy to sympathize with her, I think. Yeah. Well, um, I guess we should just go into Let's Be Bad then, which is, um, what I released on social media, like, um, I released the number everyone out there so you can see it on TikTok, Instagram, but I need to hear from Elizabeth, your view, Christian, when she keeps forgetting, like, the number, and then she has that whole moment, they're like, oh, just take, take five, or like, you know, you can have the afternoon off, and she's like, no, no, I got this. And then she breaks down and cries and she says, okay, I'm ready now. Like what is happening psychologically to her? Hi, this is Dr. Andrew Rimby. And when I'm not here on the podcast, I am consulting with small businesses, undergraduate students, graduate students, podcasters, and those in media. So if you're curious about the work that I've done with my consultation services, you could just type me in on Google, Ivory Tower Boiler Room, and you'll see a few reviews pop up. I've worked on college admission essays for undergraduate students. I've revamped and expanded a small business's social media marketing campaign right here in Port Jefferson, New York. And I've also worked on a graduate student's thesis for her physician assistant program. So if you want to seek me out or inquire about my consultation services, just email me. That's the easiest way to reach me at ivorytowerboilerroom at gmail.com. That's easy to remember. And tis the season for college admission essays, both undergraduate and graduate, thesis, writing, dissertation writing? Um, Do you want to create a podcast and you don't know where to begin? Media work? Um, How to open a TikTok? How to start creating videos on TikTok? What to do with your Instagram? All of that I have done. So just reach out to me. The holiday season may be behind us, but guess what's lurking around the corner? Picture that little baby with a bow and arrow. 
Yes, Valentine's Day is almost here. And I'm thinking of what gift can I get that my boyfriend will absolutely love and gush over? Well, he is a horror movie fanatic, so I think I have just the thing that he'll die for. Pun intended. My good friend Mandy Bangle is the owner of Mandy Made It, a craft company where she specializes in crochet and cre-cut handmade gifts. So whether... Your partner is a horror movie fanatic. I'm sure that they have a TV show they love. Maybe there's a book that they love. A music artist. A sports team that they cheer for. Mandy has you covered. From shirts, hats, beanie hats, which I love to wear at the gym. Car decals. Beer and coffee koozies. Keychains. Stuffed animals. Signs that you want to put all over your apartment. She is ready to create any customized order. So head to Instagram right now. Type in at Mandy Made It. That's M-A-N-D-E-E Made It. Slide into her DMs and she is ready to start working on your order. Just send her a few ideas. You could say, hey, my boyfriend really loves horror movies. Or hey, my boyfriend really loves the Broadway musical, Wicked. I'm sure she will figure out some concoction for you and say that you heard her ad on the Ivory Tower Boiler Room because she's going to give you an exclusive ITBR free gift. She's also working on a new line of ITBR merchandise, so I can't wait to share all of that information with you. Make sure you mention at Ivory Tower Boiler Room when your gift arrives from Mandy so I can share it out on our Instagram. I hope you all enjoy your gifts. I really liked that because I think that that was, and I of course love when it's, you know, we're seeing real moments in Marilyn, repeated moments that happened to Marilyn Monroe in, in the show with the characters. I think it's very, like, I, I keep going back to this, but the, the, the tremendous amount of pressure that Marilyn was on, was under when she did these films was, I mean, it's, you can't overstate it. And it might, th this specific more interpersonal pressure that Ivy's under is a little bit different, um, but it's still crushing somebody until they snap kind of, until they break. Marilyn, um, in almost every film that there, she were, there was a lot of, I need a minute. I forgot my line. I need, I need a minute. Um, for, for, for a thousand different reasons. Uh, one, one reason, and this is a very, very basic prosaic reason, but it's a, it's a big one is that she was, and I could, this means something to me because I struggle with this. She was so sleep deprived. She had such bad chronic insomnia so when people talk about Marilyn forgetting her lines, if you've ever spent time with chronic insomnia, you know that you just can't remember things kind of. So with Mar in Marilyn's case, a lot of the time it was that. But then also like the situation here with Ivy, there is that, there is that um, interpersonal pressure too that was happening. Yeah, yeah. So Christian, what is, what is your take on her needing that moment to like process her breakdown. Oh, I loved it. It, it was just so powerful mm -hmm. to see on screen because you could see Megan, the actress, and you could see Ivy, the character in both 
instances. And that second time when she turned around, you could see that single little tear just coming down. And it's just so powerful how amazing Megan can be in this role. And it's just, it shows to us what, what how Ivy is in in this workshop of a show and how she's trying to be perfect and be Marilyn and be herself and do all these different things and be a circus performer for so many people. And it's yeah. just, it just took its toll in that little, in that little millisecond. And she yeah. was able to just snap back and just say, Nope, we're going to do it. And we're going to do it right. Mm. You can see that I'm, I'm glad that you described it that way because you can really see the, it, with the character it's not just important to her to be like a star she cares about her art yes. you know, she is a per, like Marilyn a perfectionist when it comes to her art and her work and she also wants to do a great job not just so she keeps the role but because it matters to her just for its own sake yeah. and I and I really like seeing that yeah so what did you think Elizabeth of when we actually I love when they do the number and then imagine it for us on the stage like the way it would look so what did you think of the whole it felt very realistic even though we're getting such a heightened musical number mm -hmm. of like oh why don't you fire her and like I don't know who the woman is but she's like oh you can't fire Miss Monroe I love that I love that it almost seemed kind of like a dream mm -hmm. sequence in a way and it, and it was really cool because it was it was kind of playing with time in some ways. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, is Ivy Marilyn? Like, she's sort of there's the, there's a sense of like embodying Marilyn in, in, on some level with that, like that fully immersing yourself to the in a role to the point where that you actually gain power because of it. Yeah, and is this historically accurate with some like it hot the set? Oh right, some like it hot. So that, that, um, that the filming of Some Like It Hot was a few years after my expertise, but I do know that filming, that was very, very difficult. Um, it, Marilyn was really struggling with it. Tony Curtis was a total jackass the whole time. Um, Billy Wilder was being a jerk as well, Jack Lemon was being really lovely at least. Um, but there were there were times where I think that she, there were at least, I think that Tony Curtis wanted her off and, and you know, they but they couldn't because she was the name. Mm. And um, there was, there's definitely an element of truth there. Yeah. Well, and the way that Arthur Miller is shown in this number, I thought was fascinating because Instead of being supportive, he's like more pills, like just oh, questioning every action she's doing. And I'm well, like, that's very accurate to what would have been happening in their relationship at that point. Some like it hot, even the filming of it was was happening towards the end of their relationship, not at the bitter end. But like any long term relationship, it take, usually takes a while to, to disintegrate. This was in a time where they were not very well connected at all. She had had multiple miscarriages and health issues so she was taking pills for pain and she sensed that Marilyn was a very I mean both of you really understand this well I'm sure Marilyn was such a sensitive 
empathetic person, the type, I don't really know what you call this quality. Maybe it's not empathy, but it's the type of quality where you know what other, you are very much picking up on what somebody else is thinking and feeling. And if it's your partner and they're drawing away from you and, or looking at you with some sort of judgment or disdain, you know it, you can tell it made, so she, that made her take even more pills, sleeping pills, painkillers. It was um, very sad for her. She felt very much abandoned by him Um, and feeling a lack of support in terms of her career. Thanks to Arthur, she didn't have Milton Green anymore. So this was a difficult, this is a difficult and lonely time. Yeah. Yeah, she is like a, that makes sense. Marilyn is an intuitive person and it's kind of like Pygmalion, like where Pygmalion, right? The myth creates like that, um, sculpture like in the image of what a woman would be and I feel like Marilyn in Let's Be Bad we really see her playing into what I love about this number is it's about the artifice of like her knowing what the capitalist Hollywood system wants from her and she's going to give it to them but she also has her own demands like she's knows she knows that they need her name like you said Elizabeth and she's going to hold out on them because she knows she's not being treated with respect right right and sadly at least with Marilyn that was met with a lot of backlash and resistance a lot and a big part of that was because she's a woman Mm -hmm. and like what did you think of how she's being treated as a puppet in this number it's like they're literally as if it's she's in the gladiator ring they're like pulling her limbs it was that was, that made a lot, I think that was like a really, that was kind of painful to watch in a lot of ways. And it was, I thought it was a wonderful artistic sort of like dance interpretation of what was, of what was going on in her life at that time with career wise and with when she was kind of back in the studio system at that point. Um, that That's what it was like. There's that tension between the knowing I, I do have some power you know, you do need my name for this and then feeling completely overwhelmed and pulled and um, un- and, and not supported. Yeah. Well, it's like, where's her advocates? That's nowhere. I was like, where's her publicist? Where's her press agent? Where's the manager? She was very much without real advocates at that point in her life. Yeah. Because I think she thinks Arthur Miller's are her advocate, but he's not definitely he's not her advocate in this scene. No. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. But it did remind me of Chicago, the musical, with like Roxy Hart and we both reach for the gun. I don't know if you know that musical. I've never seen it? Chicago, actually. Yeah. But there's like this whole like mannequins or you know, Christian, that like um her like being pulled in directions with um her lawyer. I was like, oh, um, but I thought it was such a well done musical number. Being pulled in directions is really such a great interpretation of what Marilyn went through at many times in her career. Like with uh with Arthur Miller and saying, you know, you've got to end this relationship with Milton Green, with this friendship. She felt mm. so pulled, you know, earlier in the 50s. DiMaggio versus the studio says it was always mm. she always seemed to be being torn in different directions with very few people in her life what were gave her the space to assert what she wanted personally yeah 
And isn't that kind of what the women are going through in this episode? Like Julia is in this pressure of adoption, right? And Marilyn at this moment with Let's Be Bad, like you said, had a lot of miscarriages and wanted a child, but it just was not happening. And then like Ivy is faced with the manipulation of Derek and then Karen's faced with Dev's manipulation and she um, like knows that she should be the trophy wife. So then she's going to play it up with the press secretary. Like it's so, that's what I love about the series is they're so good at matching Marilyn's life to the musical number with every character and their yes, plot. Not just the one. You're right. We see, and I like the theme of this sort of happening. I, I like when TV shows do this. When, when like, and you gave a great example of like the women in the 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 female characters are all under like kind of painful pressure. You know, you you can you can feel it sort of. It, um, watching it, and you and you see all of them in different kinds of pressure. I I really I I really liked that. It was kind of moving. Yeah. Wait, and then is that when this is a man's world? That's what Karen is singing, right after. Um. Yeah, where is she singing? This is a man's world. In her apartment, she's getting ready for the dinner. Yes, yes, and she says like, "Hey, I'm Ivy," and then she's starts to like play act as if she's Ivy. That was an interesting moment. I like, like that. Yeah. What it's do you like, think it meant? I mean, what do you think she was thinking or what do you think? Yeah. I think because her, her fiance wanted her to put on this performance so that she had to pretend to be somebody else for the night. So she's like, who's the first person that she thought of? It's Ivy. Performing that type of voluptuous sexual, like, like sensual femininity mm -hmm. sort of. Yep. She's the siren. Like she's the our siren. The siren. femme fatale. There you go. Yeah. That's the archetype, the siren, the femme fatale, right? Because that would be, for, for those of us who don't walk around like that, it would have to perform it when you have to slip into that role, you know? Yeah. But what's so interesting is she thinks Ivy's performing it, but Ivy's faking it. Just like Marilyn was faking this type of femme, like a woman is not a femme fatale without the pressure of men, like them thinking they need, or do you think, well, that's a question, Elizabeth, do you think Marilyn actually enjoyed the, and I think that maybe that's what makes Marilyn so complex is almost like an Oedipus, there's the Sphinx and the riddle. It's like, was Marilyn ever actually happy to be that bombshell like was she ever content that she was causing men such a sensation yes and it's and it's complicated yeah i think that um it you know i oh my gosh i could write like a whole big long dissertation on this i feel like but it can of worms but um certain aspects of that Yes, she loved 100%. She was very comfortable with, she loved getting like, you know, hey, Marilyn, like wolf whistles on the street. I mean, like respectful ones, you know, mm -hmm. yeah, not, yeah. not vile, vulgar ones. Um, she was very, very comfortable with attention from fans. She didn't like being stuffed into certain dresses or this or that. I mean, on her own time, she was wearing 
just loose cotton sundresses and leotards and men's shirts, you know, so on her own time, she didn't really wear that much makeup. She loved perfume though. So there was, you know, a lot of juxtaposition there. She had a very seductive way about her naturally, but not necessarily in the siren way. There is in a softer kind of kit, more kittenish way, kind of like a shy little alley kitten. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe this is your next work, Elizabeth. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Is Marilyn a femme fatale? I, you're right. That's a dissertation. Um, <laughs> but oh, I feel like, um, oh my God, I have written in capital letters, toxic with exclamation marks. <laughs> when I said, oh, when Ivy's banging down Derek's door, that was really troubling. Yes. Yes. That was another like, Oh my God, hard to watch, but really human, I think. Yeah. And what did you both think when he says, are you staying? I'm like, this is, <laughs> I was like, he is fucked up. Like he is, Matt, this is messed up. What well, he's he doing. Not exactly what he wanted there. He wants to, to, um, so insecurity, desperation, paranoia, He's he sees her there and he's thinking this is exactly and it's all going exactly to my plan, you know. <laughs> so awful. Yeah, it's and that she needs his validation. That's where I'm just so upset for her to be in this situation. Right, right. Like she doesn't see her worth. And that's do you uh, think that she's on some level, and I th I think that she is on on some level. There is an aspect of her genuinely being on a little bit romantically interested in Derek, right? Oh I yeah. Think there has to be something there. I don't think it's this big love thing, but that that complicates the if it just being a power dynamic, right? That that adds that certainly must be there to add to her vulnerability. I think. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think she thinks that they can actually have a long-term relationship. I think she might too. And he definitely just sees her as a fling who he's controlling. Right, right. Well, he has no business having a relationship with anyone. But no. <laughs> well, he basically says to her, the musical is my relationship, which I feel like that's a huge red flag. That's the type of thing where I would like... I, I, I mean, it's not a, at least he's, at least he's putting that red flag. Honest, that's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah. I mean, is he saying anything like, is he giving her any false hope? Like, or is he being honest? Like, I don't see a relationship with you. Like, we're just having a fling and that's all it is. I don't think he's giving her false hope, but I think that he's manipulating and things and moving the chess pieces around to the point where he is creating a psychological environment to make her very dependent and obsessed with him rather than saying oh we'll be together someday he doesn't say that um do you know what you know what i mean yeah yeah what do you think christian like how is this episode ending for us with derek and this manipulative behavior i don't know i think it mirrors Marilyn in her own way um mm -hmm. 
because I'm not sure if you guys have either seen this TV movie, um, many Lifetime series um, based on one of the biographies, The Secret Lives of Marilyn Monroe. With, yes. um, and it has different actors reading the quotes and stuff. Yep. Yeah, I love that one. And there's there's this one dynamic where she's where she's having this relationship with this uh, older gentleman, and she only uses him for like publicity gains. And like he goes, she goes with him to parties, and he introduces her to different uh, movie executives and Johnny High, yeah. And oh. that's kind of what what it what it reminds me of with um with Derek that that's that's the power ball that he's playing with Ivy. That's mm. interesting. I that's I, I I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know like, you know, you've spent a lot of time with us, Elizabeth, but if I can, I just have one question. I mean, I have many questions for you, but one question on my mind is, and I'm sure it's not anything like, you know, the onerous. I would never ask anyone. I don't think any of us have the like affirmative answer, but like in your own opinion, do you think not just with Marilyn, but someone who rises to like the spectacle of the public's thirst for a celebrity image, do you feel like scandal is eminent in someone's rise to fame? Like they either have to A, go about it the Ivy way and like sleep with the director or, cause I feel like we're kind of being given this pathway of in order to like become a public spectacle you have to do something illicit. I see what you mean. Like, is it a conceit for the show to make it even more relevant to Marilyn and the broader way, the studio system in general in the 50s, especially for women? I mean, we know from like just observing the world around us that right now you don't have to rise to fame through scandal. Um, mm -hmm. I'm thinking of somebody very different from Marilyn Monroe, but like Beyonce or something, you know, there's yes. many examples of that, but, um, Marilyn, it was a different kind, not only was it a totally different time, but she was a very different type of artist. I am here in Port Jefferson, New York, on Long Island, in one of my favorite stores. It is the Soapbox NY, a Bath and Body Boutique. I'm here with one of the co-owners, Janine. Hi, Janine. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Thank you. Good. So I know you have many winter scents to walk us through. So let's yes. get started. This is from company Michelle Design Works, another one of our favorites. Room spray that you can use any room in your house, just kind of freshens up the room a bit. And what is this by Michelle Design Also Works? by Michelle Design Works is Winter Blooms, one of their new scents this holiday season. It's great. It's um, a hand wash. You can use it in your kitchen or your bathroom. And then here is something to follow it up with. Exactly. It's a hand and body lotion. And then what is this beautiful decorative candle here? One of our favorites that we actually sell mm. all year round because it's so popular. This is the scent of Fraser Fur by Times. I think I'm becoming addicted to it. Yes. I think you are because you already own one, I believe. I own one and it is a decorative handle for me because I'm about to open it, but it's just in such I know the packaging a beautiful is, package. I don't know what's better, the packaging or the scent. I'm using it wonderful. as a holiday decoration. So cool. I'll get to the candle eventually, everyone. 
but it's wonderful because with times in their Fraser fur, not only do they carry the candles, but they also make it in the sense in the diffuser, in soap, the hand lotion, the um, the hand soap. It's just a great line and a great scent. So, Janine, how can everyone out there get their hands on your hand and body and even pajama products. Well, we'd be more than happy to see you in our shop. We're located at 18 Chandler Square in Port Jefferson Village. You could always call us to place an order. We're happy to ship to you. Our phone number is 631-509-1424. You can place an order on our website, soapboxny.com. And you could also find us on Instagram or TikTok at the soapboxny. So many options. Mm -hmm. I can't wait for all of you out there to just enjoy what I love so much about the Soapbox NY. So with that, thank you so much. Happy winter, everyone. LGBT stories are universal, but each one speaks to the individual heart and soul of the writer telling it. Do you have a story to tell? Or have you been moved by an LGBT book, film, painting, television show, or other form of media? Then the Gay and Lesbian Review wants to hear from you. The GNLR believes in bringing awareness to queer art and artists through reviews, commentary, and thought pieces in which the author relates their personal lives to a particular piece of art, a novel, a movie. In addition to the print magazine, the GNLR also publishes articles on its blog. So you can see all of this on glreview.org. That's G-L-R-E-V-I-E-W.org. Remember, you get 50% off your subscription of the GL Review magazine when you use the promo code ITBR50. That's 50% off your print or digital subscription when you use promo code ITBR50. To learn more about submitting an article for the GNLR, Visit their writer's guidelines. The link is located at the bottom of their homepage. And if you have any questions, email Stephen Hemrick. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N dot H-E-M-R-I-C-K at glreview.org. The GNLR and its readers can't wait to see what you have to say. Imagine that you're riding the Turner Classic movie, Great Movie Ride, in Hollywood Studios. It's in the 1990s. As you're journeying through the Great Movie Ride, you pass the Wizard of Oz, where all of a sudden you see the Wicked Witch of the West ascend into Munchkinland in a cloud of smoke and flames. Well, that's the memory I have with the Great Movie Ride in classic cinema when I was at Disney in the 1990s as a young boy. And ever since that, I was hooked on classic cinema. Well, my friend Christian Garcia, friend of the Ivory Tower Boiler Room, has a podcast that you all are going to love. It's called That Old Gay Classic Cinema. And he looks at queer themes in classic cinema, like Vertigo, The Wizard of Oz, Sleeping Beauty, Mary Poppins, 101 Dalmatians, Hello Dolly. The list can go on and on and on. So follow him on Instagram at That Old Gay Classic Cinema. You can listen to his podcast on Apple and Spotify. And he also is on the premiere episode of our Queer as Folk podcast, where I'm re-watching every episode of Queer as Folk from 2000. And the episodes come out bi-weekly. So make sure you listen to his episode with me. And he's launching a rewatch show of Smash, where they're putting on a Marilyn Monroe musical. So he's going to be joined by co-hosts, a lot who are in the Broadway and theater industry, and I'm going to be on his first episode. So without further ado, 
get listening to that old gay classic cinema. Enjoy. Mm. But like, what do you think of say someone I've heard brought up with Marilyn and, um, like her unfortunate like the app the downfall and like what happens with Marilyn is a Britney Spears and. I mean, I feel like very different circumstances, but, yeah, but I do similar, feel like, yeah. There's similarities. There's, there are exploiting um, um, the mental, not mental illness, but you, do, you, do you know yeah. what I mean? Like the whole hideous tradition of locking women up because yep. they, because you don't like what they're saying. <laughs> You know, in this case, not physically locking somebody up, but they're or, or discrediting them, um, you know, leaning into a narrative of, you know, she's mentally unwell, she's taking pills, there's, there are a lot of similarities there. Yeah, and I even feel like Paris Hilton, you know, but Paris Hilton had what Marilyn didn't, which is a family name. And a tremendous amount of wealth and wealth. Yes. <laughs> Yes. But I, right. I know also what you're saying there because people, she is, when she, when Paris has spoken about really serious things, she is still discredited a lot of the time. Yeah. And she's even been in Washington, D.C. I mean, in your backyard, Elizabeth, like advocating for laws. And oh, wow. I didn't realize that. Good for Mm. her. Yeah. And I feel like Marilyn did a lot of political advocacy and people don't talk about that. He did. I mean, right. Uh, Ella Fitzgerald. That's the that's the one that I love the most. But then also, um, well, you know, that is backing Arthur Miller when he mm-hmm. was called to, to testify. Um, the HUAC. I, I always forget what it stands for, but the House of Un-American. Oh, yeah. It's, the, the committee, the committee. Yeah, that's yeah. the committee. And, um, you know, there's so many other things, too. Like she had a lot of causes that 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 she supported. Yeah. And it's like, I feel that I guess like my whole feel like you're helping me and Christian, like when we return to episode six, I feel like we're kind of being primed right now for um, do you need scandal to rise to the top? But my question is also, if you rise to the top because of scandal or because like you're seen as the bombshell or the sex goddess, where's your intellectual? agency like can you rise to the top for being a sex goddess but also be seen as intellectual and brainy that's a problem i mean i think that you would have certainly problems being seen as intellectual and brainy it's getting easier now um Mm -hmm. but you know there until very recently i think it was really hard especially for women i mean even in in acceptable i'm talking about more like the 90s enclaves women were were call, calling each other bimbos and it was an okay to call a woman that just because you don't like her you know like, it was ter- it was terrible um but like look at monica Lewinsky. that I was, was thinking, that's actually exactly what i was thinking about yeah but now monica Lewinsky has had such a public voice and yeah. well this is where podcasts what we're on right now is so good for getting their voices out there and documentaries, like being in control of your content, which Paris Hilton knows the game. Like he definitely does. Definitely does. It's interesting in Monica Lewinsky example, because I've 
you know, as being a teenager in the 90s, I have seen things change quite a lot, you know, mm. from the, like, she's a great example of that. Yeah. Wow. I feel like this episode gave a lot of food. Uh, yeah. Thank you for turning me on to this show. I want to watch the other episodes now. I'm like, oh right. you have to like keep, yeah, you have to like keep going with us. Like not, you you know, you're invited anytime, but Elizabeth, I feel like I'd love for you to just keep watching and hearing. I definitely am. I like, thoughts, I, yeah. And the thing is, I truthfully would not have started watching this show had it not been for the podcast because I didn't, it, I didn't think it was going to appeal to me nearly as much as it does, it, but, I, but I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like because of the like the musical spectacle, it sucks you in, but there's so much. Um, because it's like Marilyn is at the heart, but she's not, you know, evoked in every scene. It like allows for us to understand Marilyn's yeah. story in a more multi-layered way. Right. And she's sort of evoked, I think, subtly through different characters at different times or situations mm. maybe that she's been in. Um, it makes you think, it certainly makes you think about her life, about Hollywood through the years. Yeah, yeah. So Christian, anything else we should, you know, how would you like to, uh, you know, bookmark us? Oh goodness, there's so many things I could say, but this this episode, Elizabeth, I wanted to say thank you again for being available to us and being so open yeah. to just discuss with us and uh, share your view on Marilyn. And I, and I loved every aspect. I cannot wait to discuss with you more. Hopefully we can have a great relationship. I love that. This was so much fun. It was such a delight for me to talk about this. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and Christian, if you ever, you know, not to pressure Elizabeth, but if you ever like do a Marilyn, which I don't think you've done a Marilyn film yet, yet on, no, that, on, on his That All Gay Classic Cinema podcast. I would love <laughs> to. I would love to like show up. Yeah, bring Elizabeth on. That would be so. I will. I want to listen to if, that. If it's, I will. We'll talk after the show, so we can. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like we said, Elizabeth, anytime you know, you are welcome back to this, and I would love your thoughts when like. Um, you know, as you're watching and um, we get more of Marilyn's um, like her public image and she starts, there's like more numbers around. Yes, I can't um, wait to see some of that. How she plays the press. I think it's so fascinating. Yes. Um, yes. I wrote up a lot about that in my book. It's really, it's, it's really fun to, for me to immerse myself in Marilyn again, because it's I, after five years of writing about the Rolling Stones, um, and which feels like a very different time, you know, mm. that it's, it's really fun for me to just connect with her. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe there's a Hollywood book in your future. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see what Elizabeth's working on. Okay. Well, oh, how can everyone follow you, Elizabeth, on social media? Instagram. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think it's at E-L-I-Z-A-J-W. Let's see. Um, yes, that's it. Is it? Okay. I've been tagging Elizabeth a lot. That's why. <laughs> um, but we have the links for Elizabeth's information. Get your hands on Marilyn in Manhattan. Parachute women. If you're a Rolling Stones fan, learning about the women behind uh, the Rolling Stones success. Um, 
Oh, Sylvia Plath. Elizabeth has oh, written yeah. a book on yeah. Sylvia Plath. Another, you know, you know, there's certain themes Elizabeth is uh, <laughs> centering on. So yeah, Christian, thank you. And I can't wait to see what happens with episode six, Christian. I feel like- I can't uh, wait. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you guys so much for being available. Guys, join us back when Ivy Room, Ivy Tower Boiler Room rewatches Smash episode six, season one. Chemistry. See you guys then.